Williams moves it into the corner. Running lost his stick. Puck comes out to Martinez. Martinez with a shot. It's in. The Kings are headed to the Stanley Cup final. The shot by Martinez. I did something for the first time last night, Don. Do you care to try to guess what it is? On Tuesday, June 3rd. Yes. Uh, I did it while watching Howard Stern's America's Got Talent, which is just an embarrassingly awful show. Yelled at the TV. No, I can't imagine it would be the first time you yelled at the TV. No, I do that all, all eight, the time. Ate something for a first time. Close. Made something for a first time. You made something like yeah. an arts and crafts. Like, are you a knitting? Bu- I baked. Oh, I baked brownies, a pan of brownies for the first time, which made me say to Miss Castor, "You know, we're not married yet, and I'm running out of things I need you for." <laughs> I'm sure she appreciated it. She did, uh, but they turned out delicious. Yeah, yeah. So if you'd like to have a brownie before you go, sure. Yeah, help yourself. Sweet. Uh, welcome to the Sportscasters, season four, episode seventeen. June 4th, 2014, just hours before the start of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I felt like it was an appropriate amount of rest in between the Conference Finals and the NHL Finals. I'm still wondering what the NBA is waiting for, as they won't start their Finals until tomorrow. But seemingly their playoffs ended days and days and days and days ago. So I don't know now, what they're waiting for. Michelle, my, my wife, asked me this, and... Not about basketball in particular, but I didn't actually know the answer. If both series, say, in the NHL only won four games. Would they have moved it up? Do they move it up, or do they wait the seven? Uh, I think it's at the discretion of the league. Oh, okay. Uh, And the television and things like that. I would guess they would move it up. Okay. I doubt they would have waited this long. Yeah, I didn't know if the days were set in stone, like, but it comes down to things like arena availability. Sure. But I, I'd imagine that with each passing day, they had somewhat of a floating schedule that they were working out. Yeah. You know, because they know what, what what days the arenas are going to be available. And these are busy arenas. The Staples Center and uh, Madison Square Garden are used quite a bit, obviously. Right. I don't know how much they use the one in San Antonio or Miami, but uh, the NBA, no rush to start their finals. Uh, and because of that, we're going to have a mostly NHL-loaded show today. Kind of had the idea to do like we do for the Super Bowl, where we have kind of one guest representing each side of the matchup and then a guest that falls somewhere in the middle. Okay. So Katie Baker from Grantland, who's a sort of closeted New York Rangers fan, although not that closeted, uh, will join us uh, to talk about the to represent the Rangers. And uh, she will, of course, be writing about the Stanley Cup Finals on Grantland. And it'll give us a chance to get a Yale quote in as I ask her. <laughs> I ask her, will she be more excited to potentially write the Rangers victory column than she was to write the Yale victory column that she wrote, which is one of the best things anyone wrote about uh, the Yale championship. Okay. If you wanted to read it, if you haven't. I think I have. I'm sure I have. Yeah, it's, it was great. Uh, also, we have Adam Rank, who hasn't been on this show in forever because the last two times he's been on our show was on the Football Nation version. Really? So it's been a long time since sure he's been has, on yeah. the Sportscasters proper. And he's a Los Angeles Kings super fan, and we're really excited to have him on. And I got to tell you, Don, you weren't here when we recorded this. I think we talk about the Kings. 
Uh, but <laughs> it's literally a half an hour of us leapfrogging from lily pad to lily pad. Okay. I mean, we're all over the joint. It's cool. it's fun. It makes her a fun interview. Right. But when I was trying to write in the email to you what we talked about, I mean, it's the the strange. I mean, we go from the JFK assassination to you know Drew Doughty falling off the bench. No. Oh, well, you know, yeah. and all things in between. Right. Uh, also, uh, the in the middle there is Pete Weber, the play-by-play man for the Nashville Predators, who wanted me to let everyone know that he did call as a color commentary in the late 70s, early 80s, some Los Angeles Kings games. Okay. But he says that that wouldn't affect his uh, middleness. Oh, I see. I thought that he would be interesting just because he had a chance to call both teams. Right. You know, as a Predators announcer, he called games uh, that involved the Predators and the Rangers and, of course, called games that involved the Predators and the Kings. So he had a unique perspective. And also I wanted to ask someone about what they thought about our good buddy, Kenny Albert, who is actually going to call game one of the Stanley Cup Finals tonight for NBC because of something that happened in Doc Emmerich's family. I'm not sure what exactly, but what an unbelievable spring Kenny Albert's had. Uh, so we'll talk to Pete Weber about that. We're also going to do the greatest of all time. We'll update the book club, and we'll start things off with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right. The NHL and NBA playoffs first thing has officially been changed to the NHL and NBA finals. Both leagues, as we mentioned off the top, have arrived at the finals. Both got finals that I think are very exciting for each league. I think that the NHL would have preferred maybe at least a little bit Chicago over L.A., just based on television ratings. I know LA is a slightly bigger television market, but I think in terms of hockey fans that watch television, there's a lot more in Chicago, which is the number three market. Do you think they hope not even by market size, but that the Sabres never make it? Because Sabres fans have shown they'll watch no matter who's in it. Yeah, game seven of the Blackhawks-Kings, the Sabres was the number two uh, rated uh, market. over the Kings. Over the Kings. The Kings were third. Uh, so, yeah, Buffalo is always going to be definitely bringing eyeballs. Although, I think Buffalo is maybe like an eight-something share. If they were in, or, or rating, if they were in the cup, it would be like a 60. Oh, I mean, it yeah. would be like if, Super Bowl yeah, numbers. Be silly. Right. right. So, I don't know. I think it, they can – the Buffalo will always help them either way. Are so, they, my but, question yeah. is uh, – who do you root for? I'll be rooting for the Rangers. Because you're kind of used to I've just always been a Rangers yeah, fan. Yeah. I mean, they're one of my top three or four teams in the league. So I'll root for the Rangers. I have no real, real reason to Not like hard, or but, dislike either team. Yeah. So I kind of look for storylines. And, I mean, two of the best storylines, like if you're going by best storyline, you'd root for the Rangers because you've got the Marty St. Louis storyline. Moore. And Dominic Moore. Right. Right. And who wouldn't want those two guys to win after what they've been through? But you also got the... They had to run a goalie to get there, maybe. I mean, maybe they win that series anyway. Uh, 
They've got Prust on the team who broke someone's jaw on the way to get there. A like, guy who so the, punched the, a ref and is serving a suspension right. but will be back at some point right. during the Right, so final. I mean if you were listing the top two guys as reasons to root for a team, they'd also probably have the top two or three guys as reasons not to root for a team. So, And the Kings, I just don't really have anything to root for or against as far as that team goes, really. I definitely prefer New York over L.A. in terms of cities. I prefer the sure, Rangers over the Kings. <laughs> East Coast versus West Coast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I want it to be long. Yeah. I would probably rather see the Kings win in seven than the Rangers win in four. Rangers in four doesn't sound like that much fun to me, and I want the cup final to be fun. So, and I want it to be good for the NHL because I'm a huge NHL guy and I want the league. We've asked almost every NHL guest we've had the last couple months, has this been a good year for the league? And I want it to end with an exclamation point. Sure. You know, as it's moved, that answer's moved from yes to yes in all capitals to yes with exclamation points, it seems like. Yeah, I don't, I, another question here that I don't know if you know the answer to, but the one thing I thought that the Rangers or Montreal would have had going against them coming into this series would be the number of games they've played. But it's the, one less. The, the Rangers have played one less. Right, and yeah. the Kings now have played 21. Like, they've played the maximum amount of games. All right, and the Rangers played one less than the maximum. Is, 21 to 20. Which is insane. Are the Kings guaranteed to have played the most games? I don't think they're guaranteed, but I know that they'd be the only team to ever do four sevens. I don't know okay. how far it has to go for them to be the most, but I know they'd be the first to I do I mean, even if some sevens. team played four six-game series, that's at 24, which they're guaranteed to hit. So, I mean, it's probably tough. It's, yeah, I yeah. Mean, they're going to they're come close unless they... When they it. won it a couple years ago, they went 16-4. and four. So they've yeah, already they passed that. Right. So they've already passed that. So, yeah, exciting final for sure. Oh, one thing that we've kind of talked about is the potential for Patrick Kane to be the greatest American hockey player of all time. One thing he already is, is the greatest American playoff hockey player of all time. That's that's done and over with. I think he would have won the Conn Smythe back-to-back years if the Blackhawks would have won Game 7 and won the Cup. Yeah, I mean, people kind of picked on him a little bit for the beginning of that series, and then he went out and had seven points in the next two games. Yeah, seven, crazy like that. seven points in, I think, their last ten goals of the series. It's insane. Uh, but uh, one thing that I think another cup for Drew Doughty will mean is that he's the best Canadian hockey player right now in the National Hockey League. I know that's bold, but mm. I'm going to say if he wins a cup this year at 25 years old, with two cups, two gold medals. He'll win the Conn Smythe probably if they win the cup. So he'll have that. And also a World Junior. I mean, he'll have everything there could be to win. And he plays an insane amount of minutes. He might be the best player in the world. I know it's bold and there's going to be people who say Sidney Crosby or they'll say Steven Stamkos or whatever. But I'm going to say if, if Dowdy gets another cup and a Conn Smythe, he's the best Canadian hockey player in the world right now, and I would think that that would make him the best hockey player in the world. And by the way, I can't remember which player it was. I believe it was Sam Bennett. Uh, didn't do any pull-ups. internet is kind of in a buzz about not him doing any pull-ups. Thomas Vanek also didn't do any pull-ups. And anyone from Buffalo, there's a lot of people from Buffalo that would be like, oh, well, that's not surprising. Drew Doughty also did no pull-ups, from what I understand. So best, best player in the world right now. Couldn't do a pull-up, so I'm not worried about if my team drafts Sam Bennett. Another thing I would say to do. Sabres fans about Drew Doughty, number two overall pick. Yeah. Nothing wrong with the second overall pick. Not at all. Uh, the NBA Finals is the same as last time and is exactly what I have 
basically been saying they would be since, since the playoffs tipped. Yeah. I think I've pretty boldly said, or not that boldly, I don't know, but I think I've pretty <laughs> much said, listen, it's going to be the Heat and the Spurs, right? and it's the Heat and the Spurs. Taz Mellis said on this podcast a couple weeks ago that he would love the Spurs in that matchup. For whatever reason, I just can't see the Heat losing. I don't know why. It's based on nothing basketball-related. It's just right. a feeling. I just can't see them losing. Yeah, I guess I defer to him. As, as the expert, but will, I mean, will they, you watch this? Probably not. I mean, maybe if it comes down, maybe remember maybe they the, get, the they dragged in the you in game six and seven last year. Remember you did watch the end of game six with the crazy shot and the overtime and all that. And you, I, I remember. I don't remember this it, conversation but I, I believe, with you. They I believe you, but you I don't remember. It. Yeah. Um. So I'll probably take that again. Yeah. Give me give me the trophy in the building for most sports, and I'll watch it. I'm probably, I wouldn't say less of a fan, but uh, I heard someone on a local radio show say that baseball is kind of something you do in the summer while you're doing other things, unless you're actually going to the game. He said, like, I can't picture someone sitting down for three hours to watch a baseball game. And I, I am totally like that, but I will watch the World Series probably not start to finish but when it's on i'll I'll watch it so give me a trophy and and some i can usually be brought to the tv all right let's make some picks real quick i'm going to take the rangers in seven and give the con smythe to lundquist and i'll take the heat in six and lebron will win the mvp yeah sure i'll go with you on the nba one uh and boy it's so many games uh it's a perfect matchup in the NHL because it just seems dusty. The Kings to go seven to me. Nobody can stop the Kings' goal scoring, even though Quick hasn't been the best goalie in the playoffs by nope. any means. But it seems like Lundqvist is just as difficult to score on. I, I'll take the team that's scoring. I guess give me the Kings in. They're the home team. Yes, I guess seven. Give it to me. Give it to him seven. Con Smythe. It's got to be Dowdy right yeah. now, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, this weekend, another chance for history at Belmont. Belmont, the third jewel of the Triple Crown, always most exciting when we have a horse going for the Triple Crown. California Chrome at three to five odds for the second consecutive race. Uh, my Uncle Paul boldly strolled into the OTB. Uh, OTB last race with a $20 bill and put all 20 of it on California Chrome at three to five. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he made one bet and won twelve dollars. Well, nice. Yeah. So he will have his twelve dollars plus twenty that he says he's going to boldly march in and bet again on California Chrome at three to five. Now, doesn't this always happen? Uh, I shouldn't say always, but doesn't this happen quite a bit where you've got a horse going into this race? From what I understand is. When you lose the Kentucky Derby, you don't race, you the, don't second race one. the second one. So right. the, the winner always wins the second one, it seems like, unless they got hurt or, have, or whatever. I don't know. I, I, I think the smart bet would be pretty much any other horse except for that. Right. <laughs> uh, the Wicked Strong is second at 6-1. to one and I mean, I'm no horse guy. I haven't actually seen a second I of see this horse I see an 8-1 in there. And then that's about it. Then it's long shots. I just... I can't see. Looks like there's two horses he's got to beat. I can't see the value in making that bet. And if you really think he's going to win, box him with some other long shot. Right. Something. like. Yeah, it was hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Was he pumped? Oh, he was super thrilled. Uh, Let's see. um, 
it's the twelfth time, or he's gonna be, try to be the twelfth triple crown champion. Okay, there hasn't been one in thirty six years. It's a three to five favorite. Uh, what else is going on here? Um, eh, eleven horses. He drew spot number two. Will you watch this? No, no, a- almost no chance. If I don't have money on it, no. I I remember vividly. Uh, my grandma's brother, like my stepdad's uncle, he was all pumped one year for the Kentucky Derby. He had all his like little bets he made out in front of him. So I'm like, sweet. I'll sit here and watch this with uncle Larry and, uh, whatever. Like three hours of nothing happened <laughs> right. before the actual race started. I'm like, people get, yeah, don't turn it on until this. six o'clock. Yeah. I, I said on like whatever social media that like I can see just using it as an excuse to wear goofy hats and have a party, but if I'm not at the race or at a party, then no, I or have a lot of money on it, I couldn't care less. I will try my hardest to turn NBC on at six o'clock to watch this. Pray I don't forget. Uh huh. And at least one out of every six of them, six forty-five, I say. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> you know, like about one out of every six triple crown races ends with me forgetting that I wanted I to, watch to watch it. The race, yeah. But I will certainly try to watch it this weekend. All right, last thing. A crazy story about Abdullah the Butcher, a WWF Hall of Famer who still uh, well into his 70s wrestles on the indie circuit. Wow. Uh, and his gimmick in, the, in all those years has basically been the same, and that's to bleed. He bleeds a lot, and he he makes his opponent bleed, and he bleeds, as they call it in the business, easy way, meaning he creates the blood with like a with a razor, razor right. right? And uh, he'll often blade himself and his opponents, and one of of his opponents uh, recently sued him and won for two million dollars because he claimed that Abdullah the Butcher gave him hepatitis C. Wow. Uh, now, is that the really bad one? Like, I, I know none of them are good, but what's the one that Tommy Lee... I think Hepatitis B is the really bad oh, okay. one, I think. That's the Tommy Lee Pam Anderson one? Yeah, I think, but I'm no nurse. Right. But I think that that is the worst of them. Uh, but the currently, wrestling is rated PG. Like, Raw is rated PG on TV. So they have, got, have they gotten away from which that? Which means they get, they're far away from that. And okay. actually, there's fines and sometimes even really? suspensions for doing it. And they'll find big guys and suspend big guys for doing it. Uh, and guys will have to plead their case to that it was hard way. You know, that oh, it didn't. happened the hard way. Like, I, I took a chair shot and the chair cut me accidentally. Or, right. you know, it's just part of a punch or whatever because they're not going to find or suspend you for that. Right. For just your skin breaking. But, uh, yeah, uh million in Ontario court, which this guy will never collect because obviously a wrestler in his 70s who's still cutting himself. Yeah, who is he? He's suing Abdullah the Butcher. Right. Whose real name is Larry Shrevey. Shouldn't he maybe sue the promoter? And even then, like, what is he going to get from If you're employing a wrestler deep into his 70s, that is not like Hulk Hogan or somebody. Yeah, the match that he questioned was in Alberta. Uh, it was tried in Canada. The reward was $2.1 million American dollars. 
Uh, it was based on earnings that he lost when the WWE offered him a contract, but then rescinded it after he tested positive for the disease. So it's essentially a loss of earnings type of right. award. But I don't know how he's going to collect it from this guy. My friend Eric, who's a huge wrestling fan, was telling me about Nikolai Volkov. Sure. You know who he is? Yeah. Was uh, shown wrestling in front of eight people in a gym oh, that no. didn't even have a ring. They just had, like, mats wow. set down. And he's there with the Russian flag chirping eight people. Now, that's worse than sad Virgil. Sad Virgil, yeah. That's, that's got to be worse, right? Yeah, a website where you can find Virgil alone. <laughs> Uh, nobody wants Virgil's autograph for some reason, but uh, Virgil was named as a rib against Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes' real name is Virgil. Oh, okay. so when Vince McMahon created the chauffeur character, the guy who was going to chauffeur around the Million, million dollar, dollar Man, man he named him Virgil as a dig to Dusty Rhodes. I see. All right, enough of that. <laughs> we got Stanley Cup stuff to talk about. We'll take a break and come back with Katie Baker. Our next guest is from Pennington, New Jersey, and is a graduate of Yale University. After college, she spent six years working for Goldman Sachs, where she was a member of the Asset Management Division. She has contributed to Deadspin.com and has provided columns for New York Times Magazine, Gawker, and other publications. In 2011, she moved from New York City to San Francisco, where she is a full-time sports writer for Grantland.com. She's making her fourth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Katie Baker. How's it going today, Katie? Hi, it's good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's excited to have you as sort of the Rangers superfan representative. But the more I was thinking about it, are you sort of a closet Rangers superfan, or are you pretty out about the fact that you're a Rangers fan? Well, yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be like identifying as a Rangers superfan. Right. Um, but I guess the way I see it is, um, you know, I worked for Bill Simmons and the, the site that he built and the, the personality that he has. Has always be been about right. acknowledging, <laughs> right. you know, acknowledging like how you actually feel about things, and he sort of um, made it cool. Said, actually, okay, he sort of made it cool. Like he's kind of the, the right. innovator of representing your teams and openly rooting for them, despite your job might tell you to do the opposite. Yeah, and I mean, I and I think it's it's more that I mean, I understand the limitations that, um, you know, if you're a beat writer or if you're truly, you know, a national columnist for, for USA Today or something like that, um, obviously you don't want to have all kinds of bias in your writing um, and different writers, you know, have different mandates, I think. So um, I think on Grantland, and sometimes it's a blessing and a curse because I don't want to come across as like a homerish, you know, rah-rah rangers, um, and I think sometimes I actually overcompensate. Like there was a, I, I wrote a post. I went to the Blackhawks um, Kings game seven and wrote about the, the game. And someone in the comments was like, "You haven't written anything about the Rangers. You know, even when you wrote about them, you wrote about Montreal." Um, and part of that was just circumstance. I went to game three, and it was Dustin Tokarski's coming out game. But right. um, but anyway, I mean, I, 
it'll be interesting in the finals. You know, I, I'll be sitting in the press box and I can't cheer, but, you know, I can still react to, to big plays and uh, on both ends. And it's, it's an interesting experience. So it's obviously a really fun one and um, really looking forward to it. Well, my guess is that Sean Leahy is going to make sure he's on the opposite side of the press box for me. <laughs> Based on yeah. other experiences, <laughs> and you may have had a rooting interest in the press box. Yeah, he had the unfortunate experience of sitting next to me when when Yale was in the Frozen Four. So right. um, I don't think I said anything out loud. I just grabbed his arm, <laughs> and, um, poor guy. Yeah, so what, let's compare it to 94 a little bit. So I was 14 in 90, when, when the Rangers made the run in 94. I was just getting ready to to start high school and I was just as big of a Rangers guy as I was a Sabres guy. I really liked both. And, uh, I was really into the Rangers team at the time. So I was, I was into that run. I was also a huge, huge Pavel Bure fan. So it was like my favorite final ever to get to watch Bure every night and the Rangers. I didn't even really know who I wanted to win, but looking back on 94, like what do you kind of remember most about that run? And, uh, if anything, what I remember most was um, I'm from New Jersey. I'm from kind of halfway between New York and Philadelphia. So there's a mix of New York fans, Philadelphia fans. Um, and I, I just remember that Rangers Devil series that it was kind of, you know, people in my class all had different allegiances and it became a thing. And, you know, the teacher, I think we all dressed up in the, whatever colors we wanted to wear. And, um, and then, you know, there were always the people that, that didn't take a stand and said, well, I'm going to dress up as the referee and I'm going to wear black. <laughs> um, but that's kind of what I remember most. I mean, what I remember from that, I kind of, rem- what sticks out from that run is just was all of it, um, inclusive of not just the Rangers, but the Knicks were in the final that right. year. OJ. Um, in game seven, you know, it was, people kind of joke about that OJ car chase night. It was the same night as a big Knicks game, but, um, but that was exactly it. It was like all happening at once. Um, there was so much going on. I was in like fifth grade, I think. And it was just a really fun time. I mean, that's pretty much around the time that I was becoming like a big sports fan. And so it was obviously so integral to, you know, if those teams weren't winning, I don't know that I would have become as big of a fan as I ultimately did. Yeah. 30 for 30 has that great documentary about, (laughs) I think it's called yeah. June 17th, I think is the date they focus on from 94 and all the different things that were going on in the sports world between the World Cup and uh, the Rangers yeah. and the Knicks. One thing that is a bu- was a bummer for me once I learned about it was that it was kind of like, I know they started in 89, but I know 94 was almost like the emergence of Mike and the Mad Dog in a way, like that spring and how visible they were. It was the fifth year of the show, not the first, but... and. And it wasn't, I was in Buffalo, so I wasn't listening or had any idea about it. But I know, like, just through studying the history of Mike and the Mad Dog, that that was such a huge, huge spring for them. And it would have been really cool if uh, they were both around, if, if there was still a Mike and the Mad Dog. I know Mike is getting into it, which is great. Uh, people talking about him walking out of the arena the other night with the Rangers uh, Eastern Conference champion shirt on. And he's got hockey guests on every day. And it's just really cool to have the city of New York so, so into into it and sometimes you know Mike and the Mad Dog can fuel the sports there now Mike obviously the Mad Dog on satellite and I've even noticed he's been uh tweeting a little bit about uh about the cup playoffs as well but um hard uh hard to hide child allegiances I I I know uh I know a guy who plays in the league right now Katie I know one guy and he happens to be from New Jersey as well and he was sending me several Snapchats from the garden at uh, at Game Six, where uh, seemingly very excited. So I had to text him on the side, and I said, "You better look around and make sure none of your employers are there." 
So <laughs> they might be a little annoyed with uh, with your with your your cheering. He said, "No, it's a different conference." So, uh, so <laughs> he thought it might be okay, but um, yeah. So what about the Rangers' chances? Because a lot of people want to just crown the Kings, and I don't mean I don't I, that. That sounds stupid now that I said that because it turned out to be a pun. But uh, a <laughs> lot of, not intended, <laughs> I, I did not mean that it that way until I said it. But what do you think about right. the Rangers' chances from a hockey standpoint? Because so many people, I mean, we can acknowledge the West was a stronger conference this year. But it, and the one advantage you might want to give the Rangers is rest. But they've also only played one last game than the Kings in the playoffs so far. So where do you put their chances, and why? I uh, mean, I. Th- yeah, I think I think people are are you know I think the initial thought, especially before maybe game six and seven of the Western Conference Final, was that when when New York Montreal concluded was that those two teams were sort of playing for the right to get swept by whoever won the West. But I do think that when the Rangers won Game Six and managed to close, finally, you know, it's the first first time in several years managed to win a series in less than get seven games. Um, it was, that was a, I think that said a lot about, you know, just that they, they, they finally could win that game. And then the West went on and it was obviously a thrilling series, but it also didn't necessarily make, you know, either goaltender look like they were going to be a world beater. Um, you know, I think, I think oh, a week ago people would have said, and plenty would still say now that. Jonathan Quick on his own Chris is, you know, a bully duel for the ages. And it very well could be because Jonathan Quick's upside is certainly there. And, uh, he, you know, he just came out of a series where he probably had, probably had some goals that he would get back. And so. Right. He's not probably not going to much worse than that last series. He's probably going to yeah, be about. So, so right. I mean, I don't think, I don't think he's going to like repeat the performance, but I also think maybe it tempered some people's expectations and, I think you are still seeing people saying the series is going to go six games, seven games. Um, and I think, I think you just, at this point, these are the first two teams who have ever, you know, I think that people talk about the LA um, game seven, so their third game seven on the road. But I mean, it's even deeper than that. It's like neither, no team had ever gone to seven games in the first two series and then even won the third series. So, I mean, they're already in like uncharted waters. Um, it's two teams that have proven that they're, you know, rugged. They, they don't really have, um, I mean, there's some injuries, obviously, but it's nothing catastrophic at this point. Obviously, you you wish Derek Stepan didn't have, you know, wasn't playing with a giant a giant helmet. But, um, but I, I, I think it'll be, I think it, it has the potential to be a great series. Uh, I think, I think the first, obviously, the Rangers want to win one of these first two games on the road, and then um, and go from there. Yeah, and there's some obvious things. Like, we, we know that for the Rangers to win, Longquist is going to have to be Longquist. McDonough's going to have to play a ton of minutes. They're going to yeah. have to have scoring from top guys. Is there anyone that you look at from the Rangers kind of off the first line, off the first deep pair that you think, if he can have a huge series, could really kind of swing it in their favor a little bit? I just think it's important for um, players. Like, I mean, when they're when they're playing well, it's, one of, it's those games where you see like Matt Zuccarello just all over the ice and Carl Hagelin's always like that kind of Carl Hagelin, Brad Richards, you know, sometimes Marty San Luis, um, those guys when they're working well together is is when the Rangers just dominate possession and can really shut things down. Um, 
I think Anton Strahlman is someone that no one really ever talks about, but he's really one of the more underrated defensemen that the Rangers have. And I think they're going to obviously have their hands full with the Kings who are just, you know, it's, it's kind of scary to think about. They're like a, they're like the ocean waves coming at you and you just, you know, you beat one and there's like three more behind it. Um, and they're just Derek Stepan and will become an important guy, Dominic Moore, because they'll probably be tasked with um, with trying to shut down someone like Kopitar. So uh, you know they're 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 going to have their their hands full, and they're playing. You know, I think I think either Chicago or LA had won that game. You could make the case that either was the better team or deserved it. Um, they're just both fantastic teams, and either way. It's it's going to be a lot to handle. Yeah, and I think that I'm sh- well. I'm sure that you know Kings fans, and they got out of that. They're probably thinking, "Man, I don't want to have to look at Patrick Kane again for a long time." <laughs> when, it, I yeah. mean, you know, and because he's just so relentless, especially especially the last few games. There, do you think that by the end of this series, there's going to be a specific King that you're going to say, "Man, I hope I don't have to see him again forever." I think it'll depend. I mean, like it. Like, it could be someone like Jeff Carter where you're just like, damn it, Carter, not again. You know, he, right. he has the potential to to score, you know, four goals in a game or just to go off. Um, obviously, one thing that will be interesting to watch will be Marion Gabrick because he was on the Rangers and um, and left it and yielded, you know, yielded a, people that, that have now become essential to the Rangers. But... Um, you know, but at the same time has, has been so great for the Kings and I think is really benefits from being in a position where he doesn't have to be, you know, the number one guy. I mean, he he scored 40 goals twice in New York, which I think he's only like the third Ranger to have done that. And people still think of him as this offensive, not failure, but a guy who couldn't always score that goal when it counted. And even though he, he did and, consistently so um but I think being in the position he's in on the Kings where he's kind of a, a secondary player which is crazy to think about uh it shows how deep they are uh is going to be great for him and he's someone that that I, and you know he also knows Lundqvist really well and um he's someone that I that I sort of fear I always think about him as the guy who is somehow somewhat anonymously walking through Manhattan with his Christmas tree yeah well it's <laughs> interesting they um on the Boomerang Curtain show they they sent an intern out on the street to just see, I mean, it was just to interview a couple of people on the street and see what Rangers they could name. And it was sort of like, all right, let's see how many will name one Quist right off the bat. And then let's see how many can even name anyone else. And it was, it had the sort of predictable results of that, you know, ranged pretty widely. But one of, there was one that was like this random girl and she was like, Lundqvist? And then couldn't think of anyone else. And then she was like, Marion Gavrick? <laughs> and I just figured she must have seen 24-7. Right. <laughs> to even know, to, why would you know that name of all names if you don't know anyone else? Um, so that was kind of funny. But yeah, he's, I mean, I, I, you know, I was actually thinking to myself, I wonder, he's the kind of player where he really, you wonder if he was still on the Rangers in the Elaine Vigneault era, how he would be performing because I think he's the kind of player that would really show the difference in, uh, you know, in between Tortorella and, and Vigneault, and it'd be interesting to see how he'd be used. In this, you know, if he were to suddenly be back on the Rangers now, but I don't know. There, there's a lot of players. I mean, Kopitar, you could talk about at length. He's 
in my opinion, one of the you know top like probably right. five players in the NHL. So he's a scary guy. Yeah, and Dowdy, I think, is the scariest just because yeah. he can do it all, and he's just out there all the time. He's just never not on the bench unless he's falling off of it, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's going to be really interesting to watch. Right. So. Uh, what about from a writing standpoint? Is there Do you have a list of things going in that you're really interested to see develop? Are you kind of going to go in and let it play out in front of you? Is there a story that you're really hoping can develop? Is there something you really want to write about and you're like, oh, I really want this to develop this way or are you just going to kind of go in and let it play out like strategy-wise because uh, we're always interested in things like this even though probably no one else is uh, preparing for this. What are your kind of kind of thoughts about, about getting ready to write about it? I mean, I think like really, I think I – like the danger is, is getting like so wrapped up in the like little micro stories of the series. And I, I understand it because every day you want whatever is going on. But, um, after game one, it's all of a sudden like, you know, this team could sweep if they, you know, if they dominate the game and you forget about just how much, how many adjustments get made and how the series just gets tighter and tighter as it goes on. Um, but I guess, I, I mean, a lot of what I do is is, is kind of react to, to whatever is I kind of see is happening and what the mood is like, and um, a lot of it is not really planned. But in the broader scheme of things, I have things I think about and um, you know, certainly kind of players that I'm kind of watching and that I have pre-existing you know, theories about, whether they're really stupid theories or, you know, maybe they have some something something to them but um i mean in general i just in general i just sort of fill it out i mean certainly as as it gets closer i mean the other thing is in the final it's it's just a crazy media environment i mean it's really fun and i'm not i mean it's i love it but it's it's just pretty bonkers like just to get into the locker room there's a line and there's just you know it's not just sports reporters anymore it's like you know channel four eyewitness news team or you know like the whole squad and they're all elbowing for position with players. And, um, obviously once you get the hang of it, you can kind of figure out when to hang back and when you can, you know, maybe not be getting whipped in the face of the camera. Um, but it's, it's a, it's kind of a crazy environment and that to me is, is part of the fun. But so I, I don't know for me, especially being in New York, a lot of it's going to just be taking it all in and, um, and seeing how the city's reacting, and um, I'm excited for it. All right, well, Katie Baker writes, we'll be writing about the Stanley Cup Finals for Grantland.com, and you can find her on Twitter at Katie Bakes. And uh, I guess the only, oh, I know, the last thing I want to ask. So do you think you'll be more excited if you get to write a victory lap column for the Rangers than you were when you got to write your victory lap column for Yale? Or do you think it'll be about a push or where, where do you think you, where do you think you'll stand in terms of excitement writing the final column if the Rangers uh, win it? Well, it, well, I, I realized the other day that um, if there were to be a game seven, it would be game seven in LA um, on my birthday. Oh. And I'm like, Oh man, like I, that could either be like the best birthday or the worst birthday. So I think either way, writing that column, you know, either the day after a win, which is also my birthday or the day after a loss, like 
Either way, that's going to be a rough column. <laughs> right, you'll be like the so, Jeff Malcolm. It'll be a that. very raw, it'll be a very raw and emotional column. Either way, I guess I would say. Yeah, you'll be like the Jeff Malcolm of the uh, Rangers series since he played <laughs> that national championship game on his birthday. But all right, Katie, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Have fun with the finals. Thank you. All right, I want to thank Katie Baker from Grantland for being on the podcast today. always love it when someone from Grantland is on, and one of these days we'll try to climb to the top of that website and get Bill Simmons on. It's always been our kind of dream to run him down from the start, but to be honest, we kind of stopped pursuing it because it just seemed like it was never going to happen. But the more and more Grantland people that come on, it makes me feel like we should try, at least try, because, well, nobody's going to come on unless I ask them. But uh, book club update for today, a lot of great things about the book club this month. And of course, last week was the really awesome interview that we had with Bryn Jonathan Butler and S.L. Price. Uh, They both have books that we're featuring on the book club this week. Bryn Jonathan Butler, especially A A Cuban Boxer's Journey, Guillermo Rigondeau, From Castro's Trader to American Champion. Again, the author is Bryn Jonathan Butler. This is an ebook. It's available on all ebook formats. You can find it on Amazon. I think it's only $3.99 there. Uh, a very inspiring story, which we talked about on last week's podcast. You can find about that. The tie-in with SL Price was that he also has a newly reissued book about Cuba sports. Uh, it's called Pitching Around Fidel, A Journey into the Heart of Cuban Sports. It's been reissued on paperback, and then we also... He mentioned that one of his main motivations for doing it was that so it would be available in ebook format, and that's available everywhere. Currently, I am reading a book called Console Wars, Sega, Nintendo, and the Battle that Defined a Generation by Blake J. Harris. Uh, we're looking forward to having Blake on in a couple of weeks to talk about this book. Uh, really cool for anyone who grew up playing uh, the 8-bit Nintendo and then maybe moved into the Sega Genesis. There's a lot of... Uh, Really cool stuff in there about how Sega was able to compete with Nintendo, who I think had about a 90% market share at the time that the Sega Genesis came out. So just some really, really cool stuff. Uh, Console Wars, Sega, Nintendo, and the Battle That Defined a Generation by Blake J. Harris. Pitching Around for A Journey into the Heart of Cuban Sports by S.L. Price. And the Cuban Boxer's Journey, Guillermo Rigondeau from Castro's Trader to American Champion by Bryn Jonathan Butler. Book Club Books of the Month for June. We had Katie Baker represent the New York Rangers, and we're going to take a break and come back with a good friend of ours, Adam Rank, to represent the Los Angeles Kings. Our next guest is a native of Southern California and is a graduate of Cal State Fullerton. He does stand-up comedy, gives fantasy advice on NFL.com and the NFL Network, uh, and also co-hosts the Dave Damaschek football podcast. A warm sportscaster's welcome to one of the funniest guys we've ever had on the podcast, Adam Rank. What's up, Rank? Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it, although the dulcet towns of the Cal State Fullerton site uh, fight song I should say a little sad today because the the Titans of Baseball, Cal State right? Fullerton eliminated by OKC in the College World Series. I guess I should say Oklahoma State. It's not Oklahoma City. 
Right. Although yeah. Stillwater is a suburb of Oklahoma City, if I'm not mistaken. But right. Yeah. Is it though? I yeah. don't know. Well, I think if you're in Oklahoma City, you're closer to Oklahoma State than Norman, right? Oh, or actually, that's, that can't be true. I think Norman is very, is pretty much in Oklahoma City practically. Because I, I yeah, I think that's yeah, that's got to be the case, right? I yeah, think Stillwater is probably is probably further. Because I went to see uh, uh, Pearl Jam in Oklahoma in October, and uh, we drove through to see uh, Heisman Park, where all the the Sooners have all the statues for the guys who won the Heisman, like Jason White and uh, you know Billy Sims and uh, jo- Josh Heupel. Uh, Did Heupel he, win one? No, he lost to Wanky. He was second. To oh, Bradford right. is the one who won it last. Uh, that's right. Right. So we went through there, and then we were at the arena in like 15 minutes. So I think that Norman is the suburb of, o- of Oklahoma City, and I think Stillwater might be a little further from it, but not that far anyway. So I'll, I'll no, right. no, that that sounds right. Yeah. If you've ever been to Oklahoma, save your money. You don't need to go back. Yeah, it's just that one time. I, I couldn't see going back. Like I couldn't see. Arena. No. Right. Yeah. It's one of those things you go down, you look at the uh the memorial for OKC from their uh from their tragic uh Timothy McVeigh bombing that right. Oh wow, that has to be God, it seems like it's such a long time ago now. Honestly, but yeah, you go and you see that and there's some cool things there, but other than that, not a lot happening in Oklahoma. Yeah, we, we just we wanted to do a weekend Pearl Jam trip, like a, where a Friday and Saturday where we could go to both, and it was Dallas the night before. So it was like a two-and-a-half-hour drive, I think, from Dallas to Oklahoma City. So that's the only reason we I ever ended up there. Probably I can't think of another reason to ever end up back. But the No, guy, that's it. You've, you've done everything you've ever needed right, to do in Oklahoma. The guy who did the Oklahoma City bombing, he like like grew up like 15 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. He grew up like oh no yeah no it's terrible it's one of the worst kind of Western New York things there is he's he was like 15 minutes from from like from I live in Niagara County like closer to well I live right on the Erie Niagara County border Buffalo is in Erie County but I live right on the border I live right there pretty much and he lives like deep into was deep into Niagara County so uh, close to Niagara oh Falls, man I guess. that's yeah. right yeah I forgot yeah. that's where he was from yeah 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 and he quoted Bad Company that was his thing right. The song back. Yeah, that's right. Dirty oh, that's dirty. absolutely right. Yeah, dirty for dirty. So I don't know. We're way off off track here. I don't know. Way off. Well, yeah. I like the history talk. <laughs> I will yeah. sit here. I'll I'll debate history anytime you want. We can go back and talk about events. Not not only in our nation's history, but world history. If we wanted to talk about the Vikings or something, and not the Minnesota Vikings, but actual I'm Vikings, a, right? Actual Vikings invading Ireland and taking all of our stuff. Another, I could do it, but we don't. We don't. Have, I know there's other pressing issues at hand, but maybe some other time in the in the future. Well, one small history note about that trip I was telling you about. So I was in Dallas, and this was in November. So we got to go to Daly Plaza. I think it was about five days before the what was this the fiftieth anniversary of JFK, or is that what this? Yeah. was? Yeah. So I was. Yeah, I think we we're fifty or sixty. I think it was. F- yeah, it's gonna 50. be fifty. I think it was fifty. Sixty-three to. 63 and this is still 2013 so it was november so yeah yeah so it's 50 yeah so i was we were right we we were there and you know the whole the whole way there i was like i want to uh get a picture on the x i was like that's what people do they go there and they get and then i got there and i'm like i don't want to get a picture there that just doesn't seem right i don't that's oh my god that's the that's absolutely true i've been there with uh, my father before yeah and and then my dad was also a world war ii veteran and uh, before you guys start doing the math, I will just cut to the chase and say, no, I was not a, p- <laughs> a planned 
pregnancy. Guess not, yeah. So, Neither was I. I. But, so, but my dad and I, one time we took a trip out to Hawaii, and we were at the uh, USS Arizona Memorial, and he's like, yeah, I want to take a picture, but he's like, what, what, I, what kind of facial expression do I have? What kind of, like, what do I do here? Like, there's really, like, an awkwardness of, like, wanting to commemorate you being in a place of, of history, but at the same time, you don't want to seem glib about it. Yeah, it just, I just bailed on it. Like, I was real into it, the whole, like, a build up to the trip and getting down there, and then when you get there, and you kind of, the, I remember just kind of standing where it was, and then looking back at the building, and, like, mm-hmm. saying, all right, no, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to take a pic. I'll take a picture of this area, but I don't want to be in it, because I, I wouldn't, I, I couldn't think of even the appropriate expression. I had no idea what it could be, so I just bailed on it. But, yeah, it's yeah. not it's not something that you want to do. There shouldn't be like gift shops or anything like that. Like that's all tacky. And I yeah. think that they there's other places of historical significance where bad things happen where people just put up gift shops and it just that happened like, in nine eleven, right? I mean they just opened that museum that people are a little bit critical of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this happens I guess. I don't know. That's a tough place to go to. I mean, just because it's so fresh for us, like you know what I mean? Uh like I can remember, you know, I like I can go to JFK and it's it's I, there's a disconnect there because I only learned about it. I only watched the Zapruder film, but walking through, like I think my brothers and I did last summer, we walked through there and it's like I don't ever want to be here again. This is just, I this is too real to me. I just, I don't know. I, I yeah yeah. You remember everything about it. You right. remember yeah. everything about the event, and then, you know that's what it was like for my dad when you're going to the Pearl Harbor uh, exhibit. It's just like, yeah, he remember. I mean, you didn't see the images on television because, you know, this was still back when our country was getting a lot of its news from the radio and everything, but it's still something that he lived through, and it's a little bit different than, of course, for you and I being back in New York. It would be like, oh, I remember where I was where I was on the freeway when I heard about it, and where I was in my office when I heard about the second, you know, just things like that. So Yeah, yeah. I, Howard Stern told me. I, I went... I made it out of my house without noticing a TV or anything and turned on the radio to drive to school and Howard Stern was talking about it. So, and then I got to school and everyone was just like sitting in the cafeteria watching on television or whatever. There's like really no class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People would go to class and the guy would be like, yeah, let's just leave. Or well, I don't know. It was a weird, very weird day. But again, I digress. Uh, I have no, no, but that's, no, you've got it. You've got a great segue because the Kings, right. Uh, were heavily affected by the 9-11 tragedy because of course ace bailey was on one of those planes and one of the one of the photos i'll always tweet out on 9-11 will be a photo of somebody taking the king's championship hat and putting it next to ace bailey's name at the memorial which always you know it gets me i start i start tearing i'm not afraid to admit it i'll start tearing up well, the Kings have died you a thousand deaths, I bet, this spring, because they, this has been a crazy run that oh, I almost forgot the other day started with them being down three to nothing to the, the Sharks and obviously playing three game sevens. And uh, one thing I didn't, wasn't lost on me, it's a little bit of history too. Uh, I was sitting there the other night, uh, Sunday, watching the game. And watching wrestling at the same time. Two TVs for football season can pay off in other ways as well, I found out the other night. Uh, and uh, I was thinking about, it was exactly to the day, uh, 2006, so that was, again, we get into math here, I think eight years maybe. 
Uh, maybe that's wrong. I don't know. Uh, yeah, eight years ago that the Sabres had a one-goal lead going into the third period of a conference final. And uh, unfortunately for the Sabres, they only had one NHL defenseman in that game. And uh, the Hurricanes took advantage of it in the third period because one of those NHL defensemen got called for the very first time in the playoffs where this rule uh, showed its head that flipping the puck from the defensive zone out that was the first season of that, and uh, Brian, no. yeah, and Brian Campbell was the first. Like, did it, and they they got the conference winning goal. Rod Brendamore did on that on that play. But um, I was thinking about that the other day. Well, well oh, here here's the here's uh, Buffalo guy Pat King one period away. But the Kings did it again. Found a way, tied it, win it. What has this spring been like for uh, for a Kings fan? Well, if you look back at our long illustrious history, it, it hasn't been very good. And I will always preface this as a Los Angeles area sports fan that we were very spoiled because when I was a little kid, the Lakers were going through their epic run. The Angels weren't bad and, of course, came around and won it in 2012. And if you were one of those kids who I didn't really like but rooted for the Dodgers growing up because I grew up within 15 minutes of Angel Stadium, so I did not appreciate the kids who rooted for the Dodgers, but you know, the Dodgers, Kirk Gibson, when we were all right. real young. Yeah. So, so of course that won over a couple of people. So we've been very blessed with our sports teams, but even the Kings, you know, again, as a little kid, the Gretzky trade happens and we had a great run Went to the finals, lost to Montreal, Martin McSorley curved stick. But after that, you know, not a lot of great highlights from the Kings. You have debtors goal a couple of years later, and things like that, but not a lot of great history. We traded Gretzky. None of those guys panned out, and Craig Johnson, I guess, was okay. But, you know, none of those things really panned out, and it had just been uh, a struggling franchise that had just started to accumulate talent and everything. And you go to 2012, and this was the weirdest thing, and my friend and I were talking about this. In 2012, now, don't get me wrong, it was amazing. I mean, being the first eight seed to go out, and win the Stanley Cup was awesome, but it was so easy. Like, it wasn't, there games, really right? wasn't no built. You're like, really? We're just boat racing every team. There was no drama in anything, except maybe the first game against Vancouver, where you're like, oh, I hope we just don't get swept. That was literally the feeling of, like, just don't get embarrassed. You know, we right. made it back to the playoffs the year before. We had a pretty strong team, but Kopitar had gotten hurt. So you're like, don't, don't embarrass yourself, Kings, and we'll be copacetic. And then they go out and they boat race just everybody, Vancouver, St. Louis, uh, Phoenix, and then ah, there's a little bit of intrigue with the Devils. But you knew there was no way they were going to lose to the Devils. In that right. They weren't going to lose that game six. So this season has been quite the opposite because we had a lot of high hopes. And as you said, going down 0-3. And, you know, I, was, I, I believe on the DDFP, I had kind of written them off. I'm like, oh, well, like, well, I hope we win one game. But then I thought about it. I'm like, you know, if we win one game, it's the Sharks. And the momentum will completely change. Right. And all you got to do is really game five comes down to that's the series. That's the series because you knew if the Kings won game five, well, they were going to go come home, win game six. And at that point, the Sharks were going to be done. And then, of course, we know what happened. Then the Duck series was fantastic. It's fun for the fans. It's not really contentious between the players, but that was fun but beating the Blackhawks. And I, it just felt like the Blackhawks were to the Kings recently what the Boston Red Sox were to the Angels a couple of years ago before we finally swept them in 2009. So 
it was really amazing to go out there and get that win. And I put it up there. 2002 with the Angels will always be number one for me. Uh, betting Lehigh on the money line against Duke a couple of years later <laughs> will always be up there. And then, you know what? This Kings run, it's, we'll have to see how it plays out. But it, it could knock 2012 up, which is weird because you would think the first time your team ever wins a cup is the most amazing. But just everything that has happened, that coming back from an 0-3 deficit, the beating the Ducks, beating the Blackhawks, if they can finish it off by beating a New York team, all the better. Yeah, and uh, as I was thinking about that, that 3 nothing comeback, the year after, um, the Sabres President's Trophy team was uh, down 3 nothing against Ottawa. And they gave us a lot of false hope that they could possibly come back in that, even though we lost game five at home in overtime. But um, I remember thinking that if we would win game five that day, that we would win the series. Like that the team was good enough that if they could just get over the game five hump, that they could get that. But, um, yeah, it's so hard. It's so underrated. I was thinking for you, you must want to never see Patrick Kane again, huh? You've probably had enough of Patrick Kane the last two years. It's tough, you know. I mean, on one hand, you never want to see Patrick Kane, and you don't, you despise him and everything. But unfortunately, well, unfortunately for us, he's a U.S. hockey player, so we're going to be rooting for him in the Olympics yeah. again here in four years. So it's like can't hate him too much, but still, it's like he's annoying. And I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to next season because now, as Justin Williams said, once you have to beat the team for it to be a rivalry. Because a lot of Kings fans like, oh, it's a great rivalry. Like, no, it's not a great rivalry until you beat somebody. It's a, it's a boat race. Otherwise, it's like Coke versus RC Cola or something like that. We were getting smoked, but now that we've got one, like, yeah, now it's a rivalry. Now, next year, if it comes down to the conference finals, these two teams playing again, it'll be amazing. And you'll be like, okay, it's a lot of intrigue. You go back and forth. And you know both these teams have the ability to win games. It's not like it's the Sharks, who you just know aren't going to win anything. Yeah, and, and not much is worse, by the way, you mentioned this, is when you are at a restaurant or a bar and you are, you're you like, yeah, I'll have a Coke or Pepsi, and they're like, okay, and they bring you RC Cola because it's so obvious that it's RC Cola, but they don't mention it ahead of time. Like, Oh, oh I know. Yeah, it's like, oh, because usually you'll go someplace and you'll be like, hey, can I have a uh, Diet Pepsi? They're like, oh, is Coke okay? Right. Usually, no. Actually, it's not because Diet Coke, here's the thing. Here's the hierarchy. Coke, straight Coke is better than straight Pepsi. But Diet Pepsi is better than Diet Coke. I don't know how they did that. I don't know what sort of formula change they've done, but somehow that's miraculous. But, of course, RC Cola is terrible. But yeah, Diet Right, I didn't realize Diet Right is the diet version of RC Cola, and that's fantastic. There's a Mexican place down the, down the street from my house that serves Diet Right. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Hmm. Interesting. Never had it. I can't say I have, unless they served it to me without telling me. And if, since it's good, I didn't realize, you know. So. I'll tell too. That's the whole thing. Is I can tell that somebody will be like, "All right," I'm like, "This is diet coke." You, yeah. Oh, you're yeah, trying to tell. you're trying yeah. to pass this off on me. Yeah, Buffalo's uh, the like the market share between Coke and Pepsi. It, like Buffalo is the city where Pepsi has the highest market share. So it's you, like, I can tell instantly when I'm drinking Coke. I, I don't mind Coke necessarily, but I can definitely tell the difference. Anyone who says they can't, they're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. about Patrick Kane, you know. Another Buffalo native, uh, I think it's game over already in terms of who the greatest American playoff hockey player is. I think he's got that wrapped up at this point. Someone is going to have to pass him. I think he's passed every American hockey player who's ever played in the NHL playoffs already. And I think that yeah. he's well on his way yeah. to being the best American-born hockey player of all time. I mean, 
he's, he's yeah. I don't 25? really think there's much of an argument. No, he's just he's just man, so good. And he grew up just on the on the he when he was uh when he was like twelve, like you you could go to any rink in Buffalo and he'd just be out there dominating. Like he played every day. Like he was every, his dad would have him like on four or five teams. So like every year they've won the cup. Like every hockey organization in Buffalo is like, well, he was a regal. He was a saint. Like, but he was every he played for everyone. Like he. He put his ten thousand hours or whatever in times five, and uh, he's he's unbelievable. And uh, is it one of those things in Buffalo too, where everybody's like, "Yeah, we're huge Sabres fans," but they also have a Patrick Kane jersey somewhere in their closet? Yeah, there's a lot of big Kane fans. I think the rating showed that too. Buffalo had a higher rating for Game Seven than LA did. Uh, I'm sure. All right, all right. But uh, <laughs> but no, I wanted to say something about Kane. What was it? Darn it. Shouldn't have said that. Thing and I knocked you off. Yeah, I, just, I, I, I can sit here and ramble for oh, a few minutes I while you it think was. of it. Here's a cool Kane story. So he he played in Buffalo right up until he was a Bantam major, okay, which was the year before he ended up going to the OHL. So he played in Buffalo. He played in Buffalo, and then he decided he had to leave. That there wasn't a team in Buffalo good enough for him anymore, and he mm-hmm. went and played for Honey Baked in Detroit, which is a big travel hockey organization. And he, uh, the the word around here was it wasn't anything against Buffalo. He was just going to have an opportunity to live in, I want to say, Kevin Deneen's basement or someone like that was the coach. Like a former whaler was the coach and he was going to have the opportunity to live and learn from him. So that's why he did it. Well, in the national finals, that Pat Kane team lost to a Buffalo team. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's so. always amazing. I always hate that stuff. Yeah. Guys leaving their hometown. It's like what I was saying about kids that, Grew up. I mean, the shadow of the Big A was practically cast right across our playground growing up, and yet these kids would root for the Dodgers. You're like, what's wrong with you? It's like the other side now. I don't expect you guys to all know the geography of Southern California, but there's a clear difference between the Orange County area and Los Angeles. And of course, people will be like, "What well, are you a Ducks fan?" Not age appropriate. So that's the problem. I I would probably be a Ducks fan you know, knowing the way that I rooted for my teams as a kid. But, you know, I was like, I don't know, 6, 12, 14 when the Ducks started somewhere around there. So yeah, it wasn't happening. My brother isn't Patrick Kane, but, you know, he plays Division One hockey, and everyone always wanted him to leave. Uh, he went to – there's two two schools in Buffalo that play at the prep level. Um, uh, one is Nichols where uh, – uh, what's his name from Duke? Uh, Christian Leitner played uh, basketball. But uh, they have a prep hockey team, and then his school is St. Francis Prep. And uh, wait, Christian Le- wait, Christian Leitner's from the Buffalo area. Yes, yep, yep. yep. Oh, that's that's the worst person from your region. Yeah, he's not a great guy, huh? He just yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. He just passed. He just took the mantle. That's the worst. Yeah, he's not. That a great would be guy. the embarrassing one. Yeah, everyone. I wouldn't want him quoting Bad Company or anything. They're like, no. oh yeah, we're. Be like, yeah, wasn't the Unabomber from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, see, but it works what about out. Chris Wait, no, 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 not him. No, it somewhere else. Works out great for me because he's a Nichols guy, and my brother's a St. Francis guy, which is the other prep team. So it works out great. Anyone, anyone I just needs... became the hugest St. Francis. Yeah, St. Francis prep is the way to go. But as soon as you're like a sophomore there, everyone wants you to leave. You know, like and you know, go to this prep school, like go to Shattuck St. Mary's where Crosby went, or something like that. And we just always felt like he would be fine playing here. And then he went to the USHL when he was done and played in D1 hockey. So it worked out fine for him and uh, the captain before him uh, as well. But uh, Lee Stepniak, he's the guy who left uh, St. Francis prep. 
um, they don't want to do it. So, ah, million ways to the NHL. Hockey's weird like that. There's so many different paths, you know, or like football, you just play in high school and then you play in college and you go to the NFL. Hockey, you could, it's all over. But, uh, oh, we're talking to Adam Rank. We're going all over the place. He's at Adam Rank on Twitter. You hear him on the Dave Damashek football podcast all the time. And he's all over the NFL network. And I got to let him go in a minute because I didn't ask him to be on for three hours and I don't want to take all his time. But uh, before I'll I do go, it, I run, I run <laughs> the light like crazy. Like the people will be like, get off the stage. Like, no, nah, I got to, I got to tell the story and I'll do it. But so don't, don't, don't feel like you have to rush me out of here. Okay. Can I tell you something about a comedy club experience I had? Actually, I got to go. I'll talk <laughs> to you later. No, I'm joking. No, no, no. Go ahead. What right. do you got? So I'm a little bit green. Uh, comedy club green, you know, like we haven't had a good one in Buffalo for a long time. Uh, they, they, they just, I don't know why. So like we would only get comedians. The only comedians that would come here would be the ones who could play like our theater, you know, Shays like Seinfeld would come and play the theater, you know, or if Artie Lang came, he would play at like the casino. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So we would miss out on like the Jim Norton's and the Florentines and the, like they just wouldn't come here. Like the club, the comedy club, not, not taking anything away. Those guys are great, right? But finally, we have one. It's called it's Helium. It's called and there's one in Portland, I think, and now there's one here and maybe a few other places, whatever. So I, I'm a little comedy club green, and uh, uh, Jim Florentine was on the podcast and he said, uh, "I'm coming to Buffalo. You know, you you guys should come to the show." I said, "All right, so we'll come to the show." So. He, he invited us to the show, uh, but only invited us in like, hey, you should come. Like, you should do it. Not like we bought our own tickets. We didn't, ask, you know, we weren't going to ask him for tickets or anything like that. We we're just, oh, sure, yeah, we'll come for sure. Thank you for being on. We'll repay you and be in the audience. So we went and we bought our tickets, and uh, it was me and um, my fiance or whatever. We're getting married in a couple of months, which I'm so glad because I could stop calling her fiance because I hate that word. But uh, yeah, oh, congratulations, yeah, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, we go to the bar. We buy our tickets, go to the bar, buy two drinks. It was $17 for the two drinks. We pick up the drinks, walk into the room, sit down, and they're like, you need to buy two drinks while you're here. There are two menu items while you're here. We're like, okay, no problem. you know. And then this drink that, my, my, uh, that Tammy got was enormous. It took her like half the show to drink it. And then she got another drink, and then I got another drink. And then at the end, they charged us because we didn't get two drinks because the bar one didn't count. Oh, that's ridiculous. Isn't that crazy? So I was complaining. I hate that. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah I hate when they some of the com- – I don't want to run down all the comedy clubs. But that's a, that's a bait and switch tactic, which isn't cool. Right, because we would have – like we'd, we would have just waited one second and bought it in the other room. And, and if it wasn't so big, she would have had three drinks. But she's a little girl. She can only drink so much. You know what I mean? Like I don't – it's only – an hour and 15 minutes and we were out of there. You know, I don't know how much they want you to drink, but uh, we made up with them on Twitter. They, they, I got into it with them a little bit on Twitter and they, they said, you know, with the helium, with the yeah, folks at helium yeah, and everything like that. But, it's usually like, but if you buy food, but usually like, if you get like chicken strips or whatever, it'll be like, yeah, that counts, you know, like, yeah. And things like that. Cause it's always two item. Cause they can't keep pushing the alcohol like right. they do in other places. And it is two but items, I, but we didn't, we didn't, we, we had just come for dinner. Like in the future, we'll go again now that we made up with them and we'll just, yeah, eat go there. for we'll dinner. Just eat there. They, yeah. But we didn't know, care right. We were green. See, we didn't know the rule would even exist. You know, we just thought you buy a ticket and that's good enough, but not in this case. And I understand why. And I want the place there. You know, it's great that it's there. So I'm going to support it. But it was a little bit of a bait and switch that the bar didn't count. I mean, the bar and the room were three feet apart. You know what I mean? 
Oh, absolutely. You're preaching to the choir. Could you imagine going to a ball game and they're doing that? Like, yeah, you got to buy two drinks here. Like, right. what? Yeah, I like, yeah. imagine it. But I understand, I guess, that it's just what com- it's the way the comedy club business is built. I just didn't know that. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't, if you didn't go to one before, how would you know? So I just didn't know. And well, then- your other your other piece of advice there, and I'm sure that this place is like every other place in the country, and it always depends on the headliner or anything like that too. Is like a lot of times you can just get free tickets because they just want you in the door to buy it because they're making all their money off the drinks and everything. So you can usually work a deal out. Groupon or whatever, the comedians, because I know a lot of times if I go play a place in San Diego or if I'm running a show in Burbank or something like that, they'll give you the option. They'll be like, okay, well, look, here's the thing. If you sell, you can sell tickets and then you'll get this much of the proceeds and you'll get this much money or you can get free tickets away and your cut is really small. Well, a lot of times, you know, I'm just there to, I'm like, I'm, it's not really a money making venture for me. So it's like, you know, comedy's fun. I go out and I like to do it. So I'll be like, let's just do the free ticket. Let's just pay for the room. We'll get a bunch of people in there. It'll be a fun time. They'll give us maybe 150 bucks, which will allow you to buy. Or you can get a, you can get somebody pretty decent. For, it, it's weird. Like somebody that you've seen on, especially in L.A., somebody that you've seen on L.A., and so, somebody that you've seen on TV for like 50 bucks. Like, hey, you know, Greg Wilson, can you come in and do this spot, 50 bucks? Oh, yeah, sure. Then you give the other kids, you know, 20 bucks here and there, whatever. I end up losing money on these things. But, yeah, so next time, don't even pay for a ticket. Just roll up, figure out a way to get in, tweet the comic who's headlining or anything like that. Like, hey, what's the deal with the passes or anything right. like that? I'm sure he would have given them to the... us, but I, did, I didn't want, like, he had given us something by coming on for obviously nothing, as you know. Uh, unless I do owe you a check. I don't know you haven't said, but, uh, uh, you know, so I, I just felt like I wanted to return the favor because I had the chance. So often I don't have the chance to return the favor to all the people who are so nice to, like, donate their time, like you're on 28 minutes here. So, like, I felt like I wanted to go and pay anyway, but um, I was a little annoyed with the club. But you know what? I, I'm, I, got, I, got, I got my first game under my belt, and when I go back next time, I'll be ready. We'll just eat dinner, and, you know, it won't be a big deal, so. You're a savvy veteran. Tell your friends yeah. to go buy drinks at the bar and then laugh at them when they get charged for extra drinks later. <laughs> exactly. Uh, buy, so, the, buy the side splitter. It's it's great, and it comes in a fishbowl, and you'll never finish it, but you got to buy four of them. Congratulations. So the Kings are going to win? The king, Of course the Kings are going to win. How many games? This is, uh, uh, you know, it's going to be, I want to give New York a little bit of a a little bit of credit because I've seen some good things out of them. And I'll be honest with a lot of you. No, actually, I'm going to be honest with many. I'm going to lie to you. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lie to you in front and pretend I'm a huge. No, here's the thing. I am an L.A. Kings fan. I'm not necessarily an NHL fan. I love hockey, but it's a lot of, there's a lot of shit to keep track of, you know, when all that mm-hmm. stuff's going on. Mm-hmm. So I like to follow my team. I'm up to, I'm up to date with them. I watch them. The only time I saw the, I saw the Rangers play twice this year before the playoffs the two games against the Kings, and I saw good things from them, and I did catch a number of their, their games in the playoffs. They just boat-raced Montreal. They looked good against Pittsburgh. They looked down and out against Pittsburgh. I thought yeah. we were looking at Pittsburgh and, and the Kings, perhaps, as being the dream matchup, especially for uh, my uh, podcast partner Dave Damashek and I. But the Rangers rallied, so they're a very resilient team. They've got a great goaltender, which is huge. Uh, a lot of the Kings' success, against Chicago was because Chicago, for as great as they are, they just have this knack of letting the Kings players just post up, 
right in front of Crawford. Nobody moved. Nobody was moving them out of that, uh, out of the space there. That's camped out in front of the key. So the Rangers will probably play a little bit better defense. It's, again, it's going to be another good series. I say this one goes seven. I really do think that the uh, the Kings will pick this one in seven. Another game seven, four seven. I find it to be very lucky. Going in, it's Stouty's Cotton Smythe to lose. Agree? Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Like he's amazing. He I, is. I Patrick Kane is the best American player. I'm gonna you know be very biased and say that Drew Doughty's the best defensive player. I feel that way. He's on the ice forever, and I love the vine of him hitting the glass after the Kings won. Right, right, and, and falling. It's, 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 his fall is so slapsticky. Like, it doesn't seem possible. Like, how did he do that? This, wah! Like, it was like it was a cartoon drawn in there or something. Yeah, he's awesome. And for Sabres fans everywhere, a second overall pick. It's okay. Don't worry. We lost the lottery, but it's okay. That Look at what a second overall <laughs> pick can be. And actually, Stamkos was the first pick in that draft, so that's a debate you and uh, Damashek should have. Is Ovechkin? Uh, he knows. No, no, no. He admitted today. He's like, yeah. He's like, I gotta. He's like, I gotta take that one on the chin. He, I mean, that's who you want him to be, but he's not because Dowdy's the best. Right. Well, because it's the Ovechkin Malkin one two top of the draft versus the Stamkos Dowdy one two top of the draft, which is better. That'd be a fun debate you guys could have. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you so much, Rank at Adam Rank on Twitter and all over the NFL dot com NFL Network and uh, uh, the Dave Damashek Football podcast. Thanks, bud. Thanks, buddy. Try to be best because you're only a man and a man's got to learn to take it. Try to believe though the going gets rough that you got a hand tough to make it. History repeats itself. Try and you succeed. Never doubt that you're the one and you can have your dream. You're the best around. All right, I want to thank Adam Rank for being on the podcast. Always love having Adam on. All right, uh, greatest of all time. Uh, in the past, we have done themed ones, including uh, the year 1994, which we did as somewhat of a celebration of it being 20 years since the release of all things 1994. So we figured uh, that today we would do 1984 because they are similarly celebrating 30 years. We discussed doing of all 74, I think. We also. did. Yeah. Boy, I had a tough time with 84. 74 would have been brutal. 74 is one hell of a year for music, though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I and, haven't looked into it, so maybe I. And it wouldn't you, be so bad. You know how uh, music can be considered somewhat down in the 80s? Sure. I mean, there's no shortage of great music in, in the 70s, and 74 right, was right, one right. of those years where. Uh, before we get into this one, though. I want to ask you a question, Don. Previously on The Greatest of All Time, I declared Corduroy's Bridge as the greatest bridge of all time. You recall this? I do. Okay, let me play that real quick for everyone as a refresher. All right, so the other night, I was uh, listening to Vitology, 
Okay. On Spotify. And it played through the album and then the extra stuff started to play. And the first song was like an alternate version of Better Man with like just an organ and a guitar that's pretty good. Oh, you're playing on the the re I was playing on the reissue. Okay. Which is really the only option on Spotify. Okay. It just has that it has like everything you could Vitology could be. Gotcha. I guess. So the second thing was an alternate take of Corduroy that had the bridge different, and I just wanted to play it for you to see if you would st- which bridge if you think the one they settled with is better, or if you think they should have kept this bridge because it's a little different and really interesting. So here we go for that. <laughs> I'd have to digest them both. They're both. I like them both. Pretty good, huh? Yeah. I. You know what? There's a really bad. I mean, we're geeking out on Pearl Jam a little bit. Yeah, here. yeah. There's a really try. bad, and I, by bad I mean quality-wise demo of Light Years that floats around. I don't even. Oh yeah, that song is. Could that should be a separate song completely? Because I think great. it's great. Yeah, it is. I great. might like it more than Light Years, and I really people like Light call, Years. People call it puzzles and games. Games, right? right. It's just such a totally different feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean sometimes B side stuff. I mean the band does what they do they do for a reason, but uh I love Yeah, the games. only thing I would say is wrong with the alternate take there is not including the take my hand lyric. Yeah. But I, I, I liked I love uh, Take My Hand, not my pictures. I really lyric. like the beginning though, where he says stuck inside of her and then he goes, Ah like that. Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. love that addition. But uh anyway. Oh, and also, someone recently told me that they don't think the Guns N' Roses thing we played is a bridge. I don't remember what we played. It was the end of Patience. Remember we had the three bridges, and we were, like, oh. not qualified to... Yeah, what is the Guns N' Roses? Like an outro? or I don't know what you would call it, but someone told me that's not a bridge. We looked up a bridge, and, and the Pearl Jam one definitely qualified. Pearl Jam one definitely did. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I was wondering is... Is the I know someday you'll have a beautiful life part of black a bridge? Because if it is, I might have to really think long and hard about yeah, it, that being It probably better. is. The strange thing with a lot of Pearl Jam songs is they just don't follow that standard. Verse, chorus, verse. Yeah. Like there's not. Is there a chorus in black? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, so there's not even a chorus. And I mean, you can even go back to like their. Uh, Temple of the Dog Days. I don't know whose influence that was more, his, uh, Eddie's or Chris Cornell's, but they sing the exact same thing through this whole song. So it doesn't follow. Yeah, Chris Cornell wrote most of that. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, just the idea that you can write, it's basically one verse sung two or three times. Like, they don't change the words at all, in that, and it's still an awesome song. So Pearl Jam's a little bit different. Like, it might this, be a little harder to pin down. This is the part I was talking about. I know Right, oh, right here. Right after this, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I know 
That if, might be if my, that's a bridge, then I have to put that ahead of the corduroy. Yeah, that might as be my favorite part like in corduroy. any song ever. In Black. I mean, I know that's kind of a generic Pearl Jam fan answer, but Black is... It's still my number one. Yeah. Um, I think the definition we found was something along the lines of it just doesn't match like the whatever, the melody of the chorus or the verse. So I think that would qualify. Right. All right. Uh, Opie and Anthony music break over. <laughs> uh, the greatest uh, of all time, 1984. I'm going to get the obvious one out of the way for me. And the greatest movie okay, right. of 1984, it's The Karate Kid. Okay. There's a lot of great movies for sure in 1984. I saw a list of 30 movies turning 30 this year. And like there was like 20 of them on there that I would love to watch again that were released in 1984. See, I... But, Nothing is gonna. None of them are gonna beat the Karate Kid for me. So, to me, it, very easily. I mean, <laughs> it must be take a worm for a walk week. You can't beat any movie with it. Must take, be take a worm for a walk week in it. See, I thought uh, actually the opposite. I, I also picked the greatest movie of 1984, and I said Ghostbusters. But for me, it wasn't an overwhelming like. I could have just as easily said the Terminator. Maybe it. It looks like it's a, a strong year. It it's it's a really top heavy year. I think because I for me I think there was maybe five or six movies that i really like and it seems like there's a lot of movies that like if you're into the genre like if you're into horror nightmare on elm street premiered that year but i'm not uh i don't know what once upon a time in america is it looks like it's de niro uh i wasn't a star trek fan uh but there's a lot of like goofy like maybe you'd even call them bad movies it was that ma- were super popular like gremlins mashable has a an article 30 30- 30 movies turning 30 in 2014. But like Gremlins, Footloose, like those are movies that probably nobody would say. Great sports are movie good. that year, The Natural. I'd never seen it. The Karate Kid actually was number two on their list. Ghostbusters was number four on their list. But for me, yeah, it was, it was real top heavy. Uh, I did see Amadeus. Which might have won sixteen the Oscar that year. candles is a classic. Right, that, that's 80s what I was movie. I was going to see. Is if you're right. a fan of eighties movies, that right. would probably be your favorite. Beverly Hills Cop is always in the discussion of one of the best Eddie Murphy movies. Right, whose career is clearly tailed off. But yeah, I'm going to say Ghostbusters for me. That yeah, it just holds up. Uh, the Terminator holds up. Karate Kid basically holds. I mean, you weren't watching it for Shakespeare, but I mean, it's the greatest of all time. I won that one. All right. uh, The greatest album of 1984, there was a few I considered, and part of me really wanted to say the Cyndi Lauper album because her album. Yeah, Time F. You know what? I was looking for something different when we picked these out, and I knew you you said you did the album, but I didn't have an overwhelmingly strong one. I almost said Time After Time was the best song of 84. Yeah, her album with all the hits, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which I think was like the third most played song that year. Yeah, I believe uh, comes out came out in '84, and I wanted to say that I really did, but there's no way it's better than "Born in the USA" by Bruce Springsteen, which is widely considered maybe the boss's best album. It's one of sure. the highest selling albums of all time, and there's just no way for me to get around that being the greatest album of 1984. I would have been disingenuous 
to honestly say that any piece of music from start to bottom that Cyndi Lauper put together is better than maybe the best piece of music that Bruce Springsteen has put together. So I have to go with Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. And I also strongly considered what I think you say is going to be yours. Yeah, in mine, um, I went through the same thing. I didn't have a great reason for this, but it was the most personal to me. Uh, as far as a kid growing up, my dad was kind of always into Van Halen, so I kind of got into Van Halen. So the best album for me of 1984 was 1984. I did the same thing, kind of. You look at a list to see what's on there, and I knew Born in the USA probably was the best album. But a lot of people also said, like, Purple Rain. Right. Uh, and then we talked a little bit off the air. The hip answer was to say, like, The Smiths. And I, I don't know any of The Smiths as far as I know. We're not that cool. No, we're not that cool. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so for me it's 1984. But I, I understand that that's probably the wrong answer, too. It's just something that was personal to It my... is a great rock and roll album. It's probably There's a one... lot of people who would say that. It's... I don't think it's a bad answer. It's one of those albums that I remember, however you used to get copied cassettes back in the day i don't know if i copied my dad's album or something but it's one of them i had copied when the I was only younger. number one hit for van roth was jump which is on that album and panama was the other big hit from that album but my favorite song is always the other hit the forgotten one um i'll wait has hmm. always been my favorite song i don't I don't remember it just from its name. I'm sure I know it. But Hot for Teacher was also on that. Drop that. I mean, all their stuff eventually became popular. But, uh, yeah, so I went 1984. I'm trying to think. What was there? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is always. So. Yeah, all, all good albums, but yeah. like I said, uh, I had no no overwhelming reason to pick one over another. All right, last thing for me, the greatest athlete of 1984 was Wayne Gretzky, and I say this, I wanted to do this one because the AP voted on a greatest male athlete of 84 and gave it to Carl Lewis, apparently for whatever he did in the 1984 Olympics Sorry, in Los Angeles, yeah. which I'm sure was heroic. But Wayne Gretzky in 1984 won his first Stanley Cup. He won the Art Ross Trophy. Uh, he would have won the Ro- Rocket Richard Trophy if they had that for most goals. They didn't have that at the time. But he had the most goals. He had the most points. He was the MVP of the league, and he won his first Stanley Cup. The only thing he didn't win that year was the Conn Smythe, which Mark Messier won. But to me, I mean, come on. Wayne Gretzky was the greatest athlete of 1984. There's no doubt about it. All right, before I get into my last thing, I just wanted to go back to the other thing. I wonder if back then I talked about my that cassette I had. I wonder if I made a mixtape of Van Halen. Because <laughs> I know Jump and Panama were on there and probably Hot for Teacher, but I think there were other songs on there that weren't on the album. Anyway, I'll stand by what I said. Uh, I didn't know how to categorize this. So I'm just going to say the greatest thing to come out of 1984 was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. In May, Mirage Comics published the first issue of Eastman and Laird's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and uh, they're still going relatively yeah, strong. Yeah, a big movie coming out this year. Yeah, right? a movie coming out, uh, a new series. Their series, I maybe have gone away since uh, I watched the cartoon that originally came out, I think, in 87, and I watched that for a long time. And that cartoon, as it went on, became just a toy <laughs> commercial, essentially, to introduce new characters and make new toys. And then I kind of got away from it, but they never really stopped. I mean, you, there's turtle cartoons in between there but i do watch the one on nickelodeon now the cgi one that uh 
and I use my daughter as an excuse to do that. But, <laughs> uh, and they're awesome. I mean, they're just as good, if not better than ever. And uh, I'm pumped for the movie, even though it's Michael Bay, and they'll probably screw it up. But uh, And I saw online there's a someone put out like a visual history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I'm pumped about that. So for me, the greatest thing to come out of 1984 was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Leonardo, still the greatest Ninja Turtle of all time. <laughs> uh, the greatest athlete of, of 1984 was Wayne Gretzky. The greatest album was 19, uh, in 1984 was Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. And the greatest movie was The Karate Kid, of course. I'm going with Ghostbusters, 1984, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as my greatest of 1984. All right, we'll take a break and come back with Pete Weber. <laughs> Our next guest is from Gallusburg, Illinois, and is a graduate of Notre Dame University, where he got his start in broadcasting for the hockey team. He has served as a color commentator for the LA Kings, the Buffalo Bills, and has done play-by-play for several teams, including Seattle Supersonics, the Buffalo Bisons, and of course the National Predators, where he has been calling their game since 1998. He is making his second appearance on the Sportscasters today. A warm welcome to the Buffalo legend Pete Weber. How are you doing today, Pete? <laughs> I'm doing very good, Stephen. How are you? Not the bowler. No, correct. Uh, you won't find me at throughway lanes in Buffalo uh, <laughs> in one in one of those stained glass windows. Correct. Very nice. Hey, uh, you know, this is what I was saying when I was having you on. I was like, the one thing I definitely want to ask you about before we even get to the hockey, because no one is probably more qualified to answer this than you. One of our best friends on the show is Kenny Albert. Yeah, just one of the nicest guys. He comes on every time I ask him. He comes on so much that sometimes I tell him, you know, it's okay if you can't do it. You know, don't be afraid <laughs> to say no because I just don't want to. I mean, he's come on the day after he's called NFL playoff games, hours before calling. Whatever, you get the point. He's a great friend of the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. But uh, what have you thought about the spring that he's had as a broadcaster, just in terms of? Calling both conference finals, calling two rounds in the first round, going east to west, just a crazy schedule. Uh, did you think of, have you sat home and thought about what it might be like to try to keep up with that in terms of voice and preparation and all the things that make what you do so great for so many years for the Predators? Well, thank you. And and number one, the, my first thought was jealousy. I wish I could do what uh, he has been doing, particularly during the conference finals. And uh, since essentially we're talking about uh, coast-to-coast travel uh, and very little turnaround time. However, I'll say this much. Once you get involved in a playoff series, you don't have that much to do in terms of keeping up if you've been at the games and obviously <laughs> he was at the games it's when you uh more like a john forsland uh have to go into a series and maybe have been one city one night and another city in another series the next i think that is uh more challenging but you know earlier on in these playoffs Kenny was doing that as well. So what his week was like was going back and forth with the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, plus the mindset that the Eastern Conference Finals he was doing on radio, the uh, Western Conference Finals on on television, and then blend in. How about that? A Major League Baseball game last Saturday. I mean, in the midst of all of that, absolutely incredible. Great performance. And I think it was in the New York Daily News where essentially father lectured son because his dad, Marv, had decided to pull himself back off of his NFL commitments for this next year just because of how much basketball he's been doing. 
Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, Marv did. Yeah, I heard that he was, I was a little disappointed because I still liked him at, at in football. I know some people had kind of soured a little bit, but I was still a fan. Um, what about uh, one other thing about broadcasting? I want to ask you a little bit about the series. Mm-hmm. Think about Kenny going into the overtime there. Um, and I know you've called some pretty incredible. Uh, I can think of uh, uh, Predators. I maybe you were guys were done. I can't remember. I think it was a round one game, and usually the, you guys still call round one games a uh, Predators and Wings yeah. game that went to overtime, or Predators had a big comeback, scored a big overtime goal. How much do you right. think about calling that the call? If like, what do you think Kenny was was thinking about going into that? Is he thinking about Stefan Mateau being the last one to score in that <laughs> position? Is he thinking about uh, something historical for each team, like? What do you think the mindset of him is getting ready to make a call that's going to be played over and over and over again? Stephen, this is kind of like a question that Mike Francesa asked a few weeks ago when he had the great Vin Scully on his show on WFAN in New York. He asked him if he had prepared for the possibility, and the very real possibility in this case, of Henry Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's record back in April of 1974. And he said, yeah, he thought about the possibility, but he would not ever think about scripting or even getting early inclinations about what he would say should that come to pass. His whole idea, and uh, very much the same for Kenny, to just report what you see rather than conjure up something to apply, which, bottom line, might not apply. Uh, when it comes right down to it. So it was just an honest reaction from a very very professional broadcaster to call things as he did. And and I'm thinking about one of the worst calls that had to be made was in 2010 in the cup final. Right, with Kane when you couldn't tell if it was a goal. Yeah, he was the only one that knew it was in the net. Yeah, he was, yeah. I mean, he was the only one. And I I thought John Wideman on the Blackhawks radio did a very good job with that and, and adjusting to it. And uh, I think that was uh, absolutely tremendous to see how they do it. But, you know, for example, uh, that Henry Aaron home run, it, w- it was a case of, you know, we, we all heard the uh, Milo Hamilton call, but I think the Vince Scully call was superior. And I guess you would say relative to the two announcers' abilities, you would expect that. But, you know, here was, I think, one of the worst burdens of all. Henry Aaron finished the season previously in 73 was 713 home runs. Right. So you knew the first home run of the next season was going to tie it, and that it did when they were in Cincinnati. And then the next one breaks the record. So he had, Milo had all winter to think about what was he going to say for history. And it didn't come out badly. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. Uh, And uh, he also had to have, though, as Vin Scully talked about later, he had to wait to see if it was going to clear the fence. Uh, you know, there's a, there was a guy up there who, you know, was reviled for a long time by Red Sox fans. Then the Dodgers left fielder, Bill Buckner, who was climbing the fence and wasn't that far away from catching it. So he had to hold on to that, and I, I think he responded quite well. Yeah, I know. Man, imagine if he calls it and it does get caught. I mean, I know the way people kill John Sterling all the time because he's sometimes... He's been assassinated yeah. more times than Francisco yes. Franco. He really has. I, I feel bad for him, but, uh, you know, he gets to call baseball games for the Yankees every day, so I guess in the end he's the winner anyway. So, Do you want a good broadcasting story about John Sterling? Love it. 
Okay, I'm doing the Seattle Sonics. Okay. John was doing the Atlanta Hawks. Because of the time difference, we were at our place at the Kingdom in Seattle. Because of the time difference, John also had an early evening talk show to do on WSB in Atlanta and then went straight into the Hawks broadcast. Lo and behold, it's toward the end of the third overtime. John has not had a bathroom break yet. <laughs> the Sonics have downtown Freddie Brown at the free throw line. They're down by three. There was no three-point shot in the NBA in 1981-82. Not yet. Freddie Brown hit the first free throw, pulled the Sonics within two, with uh, a second or a second and a half left in the third overtime. And then only an expert free thrower like Freddie Brown could accurately miss the free throw off the side iron uh, enough to get it right to James Donaldson to put it back up and in to tie the game and send it to a fourth overtime. This, you could see (laughs) on the face of John Sterling, caused immediate agony. So we had worked out a deal with Nancy Welts, the uh, Sonics PR person, to come down the sideline and go, we have an emergency phone call for John Sterling, emergency phone call for John Sterling. I just told her to do that because uh, not enough time to, in my commercial breaks to explain why. So John said, well, I guess I better take this call. I'll hand the, the microphone back here to uh, Chip Carey, or Skip Carey, rather, who's doing the, the television broadcast, and he'll just do a simulcast for a bit. So he walked down what was the first baseline at the King Dome into the area back of where home plate would have been located. And there was the home clubhouse bathroom and came out moments later with the most relaxed look on his face you could possibly <laughs> imagine and was able to call the fourth overtime of that Sonics-Hawks game. You know, as uh, as someone who's, uh, who sometimes can suffer pretty badly with Crohn's, that's like something I have nightmares about, scenarios like that. So I, exactly, yeah, right, but right. we work it out for him. <laughs> so I can definitely feel for him there. Uh, we do have uh, a pretty exciting final coming up, all hockey. It's been, you know, one thing that we've asked uh, different guests throughout the course of the year uh, coming on to talk about hockey is, do you think that this has been a good year for the NHL? And pretty much for the most part, everyone said yes, and it seems like the answer to that yes has gotten more and more capital yes as the playoffs has gone mm-hmm. on. It's been a great playoffs and it looks like we should be set for a great final and even though I think some people might be inclined to think that they're probably happiest with LA New York I think Chicago New York would have been a little bit better for them TV wise at least that's what my buddy Ed Sherman uh, from the Chicago Times has been writing in terms of uh, of uh, um, uh, ratings I know that Buffalo rated a little bit higher in game seven than LA did the other day but uh, what do you think about uh, this season for hockey and getting this final that they did and what do you think this means to the sport in terms of its growth? And we know that the league and the players have a 50-50 partnership now, so mm-hmm. it's such it's the, the growth of the game is an interest to both. What do you think about this year and uh, how they've done? The playoffs have been not just have they, what have they done for the league overall, but I'm going to go with yes with three exclamation points. Right. And, and that's even before we get to this New York-Los Angeles final, the, the first in, in league history. Because I you know, talk to a lot of people, and now with the social media, I'm in touch, or regular touch, with more people uh, now almost every day, has gotten more eyeballs on them from people who would be casual sports fans and not the hockey aficionados or the the hockey fanatics. It has drawn their interest. 
And I think that's what has been absolutely uh, incredible for the league. And it's kind of interesting in that I would compare this to what we had 20 years ago when the Rangers won the Cup and then all of a sudden Sports Illustrated's going absolutely crazy again yeah, over remember, hockey. I remember the cover, uh, the famous cover. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mark Boy, uh, who was the managing editor of Sports Illustrated at the time. And, you know, good guys like Ed Swift and, and Michael Farber and uh, Brian Kazanov and, and others who have been there for a long time uh, covering hockey. So, and, But the problem at that point in time, which we will not have this time around, was the CBA was running out and all the great momentum that was built up, absolutely dissipated with the lockout that cost us the what would be the 1994 portion of the 1994-95 NHL season, right. which did not begin until there was a celebration of the Cup when the Sabres opened up the year uh, at Madison Square Garden in January of 1995. You know, one of those things you just you couldn't possibly plan for. But now you have people, I think, uh, in Minnesota, excited about the NHL all over again, the reviving of Denver, which I think is a potentially a, an absolutely outstanding hockey market. I think we saw that from the time the Nordique moved there uh, in the summer of 1995 and then really fell flat for, for quite some time, and deservedly so from, from the on-ice uh, performance of the team. Uh, and what we have now in California, I mean, right, three California clubs uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Let me see, how many from Canada? Oh, yeah, that one from one, Montreal right. just knocked out in the right. previous series by the New York Rangers. Did you mention so, and you have, I'm sorry? Did you mention Columbus? And really Columbus had, yeah, is absolutely yeah. up there again. They will be hosting. They can build on this. They will be hosting the NHL All-Star Game. Coming up next January, you know, they, they got rooked out of that by the, the lockout, which right. caused the postponement of the start of the uh, 2013 season. So that, there, and there are any number of other spots. I, I think Dallas got revived uh, as well. In St. Louis, they might have a little bit of the Boston Red Sox fans mentality of the pre-2004 Red Sox. When I think they are sort of uh, looking at things and regarding them as what will go wrong this time around. We have a pretty good team, but uh, they did not have the breakthrough that they were expecting to have, right. particularly after they got to such a great start in their series with Chicago in taking the first two games. It's like they get Gretzky and then Steve Eiserman has to spoil it with one of the greatest shots of all time. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, they had Gretzky and Brett Hall together. <laughs> right. You know, that's that's just amazing. Yeah, and Steve Eisner has had a spell. That's my, still, I think, my favorite shot I've ever seen. Is Just, oh, my God, the way he – that's he can talk about getting into one, right? I, mean, I can still see that. Yeah, I can see it, too. Inside. I think we all can. Hockey fans, just, that's a goal just that you'll, you can never forget. Um, it's uh, – but uh, – yeah, and Ryan Miller, it started out so well for him there, and yes. that it just just fell apart. So he'll be. But I don't think that was in a vacuum. I, it was Ryan Miller and his team. Right, right, yeah, crazy. But uh, all right, here's something I want to ask you. So why was the other night not? Why are the Rangers not just a sacrificial lamb now for the uh, Kings? Because that's what it seems like some people want <laughs> it to be made out to be. Why can the Rangers win this thing? Well, they. Can, and there's no great difference between the two teams in terms of how rested or not. I mean, right. one game the difference. Rangers have played right. just one game less than the Kings have. And by the way, right, you know, the Kings, after game six of this conference final, had played as many playoff games as they had 
when they won the cup in 2012 and went 16 and 4. So uh, they've really gone through things, and, and to see uh, the performances that they have put forth in three game sevens in one year is absolutely incredible. But the Rangers, uh, maybe they got some breaks along the way in these playoffs. I mean, how much was it the Rangers doing a great job against Pittsburgh and then the Rangers doing a great job against Montreal? Or did those or were those two teams just markedly inferior? I think not. I think they were winners rather than the other team being losers, if you understand what I'm saying. I do. There. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing that I like about the Rangers, both being, I think that we're both college hockey fans. I know we're both huge University of Notre Dame fans. We talked about that last time, why I love Notre Dame so much. But uh, the Rangers have a huge college hockey influence. I mean, so many of their big players yeah. are college hockey guys. I'm really excited to see to see what, what they I remember the, in the 94 uh, series, it was the first time I think a Russian maybe made it to the cup. I think Kovalev, and they might have had another one. Might it might have been... Maybe yeah, you might well be right there. And yeah. then, you know, first just think American about how international this game has been. And the first European-trained captain to hoist the Stanley Cup was Nick Lidstrom of the right. Red Wings. Yep, yep. And, yeah, and Leach was the first U.S. Con Smythe winner that yes. year. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, the, the Rangers can be trend centers. But this would be a team that is super heavily influenced by college players, whether it's McDonough or St. Louis or... Uh, yeah, Kreider. Uh, Kreider, yeah, who actually my brother had his official visit at Boston College. He stayed with Kreider. Uh, that, oh, did he? Yeah, okay. That was his host uh, there, so uh, pretty interesting. But, um, yeah, so really excited about that. So uh, what's – Let's wh- not forget Dominic Moore here either. Dominic Moore, yeah, the big story, the Harvard guy who scored the gate conference-winning goal after the feel-good – the way people have felt about him. on He's gotten a great buzz after that E60 piece. You know, people really, I think, have opened their hearts to him. Oh, man, they, yeah. and, and well, they should. Yeah. All right, well, uh, prediction? I say, and this does not exactly sound like going out on a limb, but I, I say Kings in six, and perhaps I'm being really stupid on this. Maybe I should say Kings in seven. Yeah. That maybe. seems to be the way they like to go about their business, doesn't it? And uh, Con Smythe? If the Kings win the Stanley Cup, I think the Conn Smythe is going to go to the performances so far. I think it's going to go to Drew Doughty. Drew Doughty, he's been unbelievable. And if the yeah. Rangers win the Cup, I would guess it would have to be Henrik Lundqvist. All right. I agree on both fronts. Uh, this is an honor. Thank you for doing it a second time. We really appreciate it. Glad to do it, and I hope that someday, some way, somehow, I can tie Kenny Albert for a number of appearances. <laughs> All right, that's great. I hope you can, too. Thank Thank you so much. All right. All right, I want to thank Pete Weber, Adam Rank, and Katie Baker for being on the podcast today. We're out to some great things next week. Hopefully they pan out, including a... uh, Female ESPN staffer who is a New York Rangers fan. Sweet. I think she'll be on next week. Uh, we'll see, though. <laughs> you can find us at www.sports-casters.com. You can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Yeah. All right. One last thing for me this week. Uh, it's kind of just an, another thing more than anything, but the NFL 
and we talked about this, and I think we both kind of guessed that this would be the case, but they're doing away with Roman numerals for Super Bowl 50. Yeah, they're calling it Super Bowl 50. Super Bowl 50, because uh, they didn't want to call it Super Bowl L. L. <laughs> they thought that would be silly, and I think we talked about that maybe a few years ago, but uh, that's two years out still in 2016. Immediately after that, though, 2017, they will be back with Super Bowl LI, because apparently that's not ridiculous looking. Was X okay? Because I know there was never Super Bowl ten. Did it just not? Yeah, X was okay, and they said that. uh, I don't remember where I read this because it's not in the article I'm looking at right now. But they said that uh, they made it through Super Bowl XXX, and they thought that might be a problem, probably because of the porn connotations. But Mm. uh, they made it through that, so now they're working on this. The official logo is out apparently and it's a 50 with the trophy in the middle right it's really generic yeah it's awful like to me it looks like something that like one of the original ea sports madden football covers would have had it looks like i could have made it yeah it looks like a sega genesis cover and the amazing thing about that is this team that came up with this logo has been working on it since april 2013 who is it the host does the host of it make it Weston. Uh, oh, okay. Jamie Weston, the league's vice president of branding creative. So mm-hmm. the league themselves, I guess, does it. Uh, they've been working on this since April 2013 and have gone through 73 versions to land on this one. Yeah, look at it. It's not that great. No, it's. I mean, it's not it's underwhelming. Very underwhelming. Uh, I I still like as much as the Bills. The end of the Super Bowl was it 25 was their first Super Bowl, right? It's a it's a really cool. Simple but cool logo. This one's just kind of really, really simple. This looks like a – what's the show with the money cases? Deal or no deal designed right. this logo. Uh, so, yeah, NFL, if you came – if you went through 73 and landed on this, uh, you, you got to do better than that. So the other big event that is traditionally using Roman numerals is WrestleMania. Okay. But they haven't always. Do you know – any of the WrestleManias that they didn't. I'm going to say 10. 10 they did use the X. They did. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say I saw one they did. 20, 25, one of those. Well, WrestleMania 2000. Oh, okay. Was. Uh, they got cute like that. Was. Um, would have been 16. Okay. The first time they did it was 2. was called WrestleMania the number 2. That's weird. Right. Because I guess. One was just called WrestleMania. WrestleMania. Sure. Then two was called WrestleMania number two. So the first time they actually used Roman numerals was three. And they did it all the way through until WrestleMania 13, which had a 13 on fire. Okay. And then they didn't use it for, like I said, 2000. Uh, WrestleMania 18 was called X8. Maybe that's the one I remember seeing the logo for. 21, 22, 23, no Roman numerals. Uh, t- 25 was WrestleMania's 25th anniversary, and now they've gotten back to them. Roman so, numerals. Yeah. Although last uh, 29 was New York, New Jersey. So they, they like all things wrestling, just kind of haphazardly decide. <laughs> Do whatever they want. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, one last thing for today. We talked about things turning 30 today and greatest of all time. And something that's turned 20 this year is one of my favorite albums from front to back of all time, and that's Soundgarden, Super Unknown. Uh, Just a great, great album from Let Me Drown, which is the first track, to like Suicide, which is the final and I believe 15th track on there. Almost all of them are good songs. I think maybe the only one I'd 
probably take off as half, uh, which some people even like. Uh, but uh, a great album. He was uh, Soundgarden was on Jimmy Fallon last night. They played Spoonman on there. And if you go on Jimmy Fallon's website, you can also watch a version of My Wave. Uh, a reissue of the album has come out. Uh, you can buy it as a two-disc, a four-disc, or a box set type. Uh, three different price points and variations of that with all kinds of bonus features, including like rehearsals and demos and B-sides and all kinds of stuff. And if you're, if you're a Spotify user, you can listen to all the music, even on the box set. Sweet. on spotify and you can do that for free on the desktop version you don't even have to be a subscriber to listen to spotify on the desktop which i thought is always a cool thing about it it's a great album it's 20 years old and they're going to be touring on it without matt cameron though uh this summer uh with nine inch nails although the the drummer that they picked to replace him is also a former pearl jam drummer although very briefly matt chamberlain who oh, was really? in pearl jam but left to instead join the saturday night live band which okay probably wasn't a great career choice <laughs> But, uh, maybe he doesn't like the tour. Yeah, maybe not. 